Hello, and welcome to the Emmy Awards. I'm your host, Emmy Cardinale, and this is my podcast where I talk about what I've been watching or rewatching once a week. This is the first episode of mine that you stumble upon and you enjoy it. Please feel free to follow me wherever you listen to podcasts so you can get notified when I upload a new episode. If this is one of your first few episodes or you've been listening for a while and you haven't rated and reviewed, that would be nice. Apparently, that's helpful. I don't really know. I just hear other podcasters say that, so I'm going to say that. You know, fake it till you make it. But this episode is going to be, I'm going to cover three shows. I'm going to cover the latest episodes of The Bachelor, Vanderpump Rules, and The Traitors in that order. There will be timestamps in the description, so if you don't watch any particular show or you only care about one show, please feel free to skip around. That is what they are there for. I'm going to go in order of when they aired. So I'm going to start with The Bachelor and end with The Traitors. Timestamps in the description. I have a lot to talk about and a lot to say, so I'm just gonna jump straight in. But thank you so much for joining me, it means a lot. So, The Bachelor, season 28, Joey season, episode three, Joey Grazia Day. I have to say, I called him Grazia Deli or something in one of my first episodes. I'm sorry that I mispronounced his name. Grazia Day is still a cool Italian name. So, the cold open is Joey addressing the group about drama he heard the word bully and it scares him and and that's like the cliffhanger we're left on i'm a fan of the cold opens i know not everybody is but i i like a little taste you know i think sometimes they do like tonight on the bachelor and it's just too much like i like the cold open because it's like i don't know i i enjoy that personally so the real opening is the women at the mansion kelsey a is excited to see him again i finally figured i i now in my brain know which kelsey is which kelsey a is the one from new orleans who new orleans i don't i don't know how you pronounce that i'm so sorry um to anybody from there if, if you're offended by my pronunciation, I'm literally so sorry. She came in with a voodoo doll. Kelsey T is is the other one who hasn't gotten a ton of screen time, but I'm getting good vibes from. But anyways, so Kelsey A is excited to see him again. She says that she's excited to see him again. Edwina is happy about her group date rose from last week. Most of this is told in ITMs. Maria is excited for a fresh start after the misunderstanding from the last episode. And then Jesse gives them a date card. There will be two group dates and one one-on-one this week, which is pretty standard. Going on the first date are Edwina, Kelsey A, Lexi, Allison, Medina, Krissa, Leia, Sydney, and Maria. It's the Mrs. Wright pageant, which I have to say, they've never done a Mrs. Wright pageant. They did once do a Mr. Wright competition. I don't know if it was a pageant, maybe it was. It was Hannah Brown's season, so it would make sense that they'd do a little wink and a nod and make it a pageant, but who knows? I, I was getting anxious. <laughs> I'm getting I was, flashbacks to Hannah Brown season. Not that it would, Hannah Brown season is so good. It's just like the Luke Parker of it all. And like, you can't deny that he's part of the reason the season was good, but it's also like, it makes me angry thinking about it, but he got like sued, like karma hit him like a train on the track. I know that's not the lyric, it's happiness hit. <laughs> Anyways, so it's a Mrs. Wright pageant. Askin from The Golden Bachelor is joining to, to help judge, which if you don't remember Askin or you didn't watch The Golden Bachelor, it's April, Susan, Kathy, and Nancy, which very smart of them to, to, to brand themselves, you know, Askin. Great, great little group. You know, it's not uncommon for women on The Bachelor and men on The Bachelorette to, to be in somewhat of cliques, but it's not even cliques. It's just like you vibe with the people you vibe with and like, 
from former contestants, I think not all of it, obviously, but some of it has to do with like your rooms and who who you're staying with. But there's a lot of downtime. So you get to know the people you're in the house with. So it makes sense that there's a group, but it's smart of them to be like, let it, let's abbreviate our initials. Like they, they just, that was very smart of them. So there are three portions for the pageant, the lazy Sunday fit wear, which I guess they did that instead of doing some kind of like gown or bathing suit or something, which I thought was cute. I think it was a cute little thing in the Q&A and it ends with the talent portion. Sydney in her ITMs says that she's excited because she's done pageants before. Maria and Sydney are still not getting along. Their ITMs here and there, they're kind of making jabs at each other. I'm team Maria, very firmly team Maria. That never wavers for me personally. Although I think most people are team Maria. But anyways, for the talent portion, we see Edwina sing acapella. She does a great job. Maria does like some flips. She does a really cool thing. We are only shown it briefly. Edwina gets more of like a moment. They're all mostly trying things. Like it's it's cool how much they're trying, but they're, they're glimpses. Then we see Sydney do a really cringy cheerleading thing, which is fine. Like, you know, was Edwina singing like the most amazing ever? No, but because I like Edwina and she has like humility, <laughs> it wasn't as cringy to me. It was like brave. You know, I, it, there's a lot to be said there about like something is kind of, I don't, I, I didn't have a thought. I didn't have a fully formed thought, but like if I didn't like Edwina, would her singing maybe have been a little bit cringy to me? Perhaps. But I like Edwina, so it wasn't. You know what? It's like, it's weird in that regard. And I'm trying not to be too hard on Sydney. Like, I don't want to hate Sydney. I don't genuinely care about her. Like, I, I don't give opinions on the behavior that I witnessed on the television show. But her as a person, I don't know Sydney. No hate to Sydney or anybody involved in these shows ever. It's so unnecessary. So unnecessary to send people hate. And I'm never, I'm not trying to. So if I come across mean, it's just because I have strong opinions about their behavior, but I really try not to judge these people as people because I don't know them and it's like a weird environment and there are all these factors. It's edited, it's produced. There's so many factors that like make it not like an honest representation of some how, who somebody might be just one-on-one -on -one or in their day-to-day -day lives. But I mean, I, the, the podcast, my podcast is meant for me to talk about what I thought watching the show. So I'm going to do that but I always wanna have that disclaimer. Anyways, let's see for her talent, she kisses him, which, you know, kind of a flop talent. I like Lexi. I understand that maybe she didn't have much. And it is kind of like when everybody's doing a talent, it is a way to make you stand out. Like you're more likely to get that producer win. Not that Joey had nothing to say because I think they have good chemistry, but that kind of like bold move of like, I'm gonna kiss the lead or I'm gonna do something like that. That is always somebody who then the producers can very easily be like, let's give her the win because it'll further, tensions will be further spiked, you know, because if people were feeling kind of uncomfortable watching Lexi kiss Joey, but then Edwina gets, wins the pageant, then that kind of initial tension is like dissipated instead of, I don't know that if that's the right word, but it's kind of like the, the feelings are like calmed instead of like stoking the flames, you know? So Lexi wins clearly to stoke the flames. And again, no heat to Lexi because I like her and I genuinely think that they have good chemistry and good connection. And I have nothing negative to say about Lexi. And it was a smart move for her if it was a, a calc, not calculated, but if it was like a conscious effort to get 
the wing. Leia in her ITM says that there are a lot of people that feel that Lexi put less effort in but got more reward, which is fair. Although I will say, don't get me wrong. It's easy for me to say this as like a viewer, but if I was there and I had like put myself out there on, on national TV and there was a huge audience and I had done something like singing or, or tried to do stand up or just anything or even the cheerleading thing. And then somebody who just kissed him one, I would be upset because that's like a lot to put yourself out there. But from a viewer's perspective, I'm like the reward she got was just like a title. It's not really like the, you still have the night portion to get the, the rose, which is the more important prize on these group dates. Any competition where then you get a prize, it's not necessarily, there are moments where it is like if it's a play for time, but like being crowned Mrs. Wright means nothing in the long run in terms of like it being a good prize. So I would just like think it through that way. Like she got more reward for less effort, but like what, what reward did she really get except like a title? An important one, but it's just anyways. On the night portion of the group date, Lexi talks about how she was out of her comfort zone, but she appreciated the validation from Joey. Leia says she was surprised by the outcome. Edwina says if it came down to the talent, someone else deserved the win. And this conversation between the women is happening while Lexi is talking to Joey, or at least she's not there. So she's not here. Like Lexi is with Joey and Leia, Edwina, and the rest are talking about how they feel about the date. Sydney says that she's bummed that she didn't win, but Lexi is her girl and she doesn't want to talk shit which like they're not really talking shit at the end of the day they're not saying anything negative about Lexi that is part of the experience yes part of the experience is having to watch other people kiss the lead and and get validation that maybe you would want in those moments there's only so much validation that can go around in terms of like prizes and like titles like this certain dates one-on-one time roses there's obviously it's a competition and being bummed about that and being like i don't really think it was the best decision you're not criticizing lexi she didn't pick herself as the winner you're not even really criticizing joey because it's like the producer's decision which like obviously you can't say on the show but it's like saying that you're not happy about how something happened on the show is in no way shit talking Lexi. They said nothing negative of Lexi or like she had no talent or like they weren't even saying anything negative about Lexi. They just said, we think that if Leia said she was surprised, Edwina said that if it came to the talent, somebody who actually tried should have won. None of these things are shit talking. Like what, we can't say anything negative because it's shit talking. People are allowed to disagree. People are allowed to be like, I'm not happy with how you did that thing or that decision you made. That's not me shit talking. If somebody does something I don't like and I'm like, I don't really like that. That's not me shit talking them. This girl needs to learn her definitions, in my opinion. <laughs> Anyways, Lexi, I wrote Lexi feels confident. I have no idea what that is in regards to. I think maybe with her one-on-one time with Joey. Then we see Kelsey A talk to Joey and say that she was out of her comfort zone. They seem to have a really good connection. She's the one from New Orleans. I'm keeping my eye on her. Nothing much of note from their conversation besides just like it seemed good and how she put herself out there and it very standard what people say when they've done one of these like competition talent show dates then we see brief one-on-one time with edwina and allison then we get one-on-one time with maria and she shares her opinion about lexi winning and then she then the conversation kind of joey handles it really well he says it wasn't just about the date portion and then they have like a conversation about her like being a homebody and being an introvert 
hurt and he's surprised by that. And they just, I, I like Maria. It was like a perfect example of what I feel like Sydney would call shit talking because she came to Joey with a, not even a problem, just an opinion where she was like, I'm, I don't really love that decision you made. And he was like, it wasn't just about thing. And he seamlessly transitioned into just talking about their relationship. And he didn't like, he di- he didn't blow it up into this big thing because it wasn't a big thing to have somebody say, I don't really understand why you made that. Like, it's not that big a deal. And Joey didn't blow it into this big thing because it's not a big thing. Anyways, um, then we see one-on-one time with Medina and he asks her about what was bothering her at the last cocktail party. And she says that there was like an incident. She, it's not that serious and she doesn't want to get into it. But like the gist was it was about her age and she was insecure about her age. And then somebody like said, oh, she's not even that old and she felt invalidated. And then the the girl kept asking her who told her that she said that and she felt bullied. Joey asks who and she says she doesn't want to say. Now I don't totally fault Medina because she did solely keep it to her emotions and she did say it's not that big a deal. She did say I felt bullied, not I was bullied. I do in general just, I'm not, one of those people who really polices like words and like if somebody says like that was traumatic for me I mean to to some extent yes but I think trauma and and feelings and like feeling hurt by something that's a very personal individual thing and trauma I think is a very misunderstood thing and this isn't even about trauma but like I I just want to say this trauma is a very misunderstood thing in that I feel like this Two people can go through the exact same experience and their bodies, for whatever reason, will experience that differently. One person can be traumatized by it and the other won't. And I'm not saying there are obviously things that like traumatize most people who go through them. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about things that make that may seem quote unquote small or like not a big deal. Maybe it wasn't to you, but that same experience could traumatize another person is what I'm, I'm trying to say for whatever reason. And so I'm not somebody who really likes to police that kind of vocabulary or like how people talk about their own experiences. I just really, and I will admit that this is my own trauma and my own bias, but I have such a hard time with the way people use the word bully because bullying and being bullied is not just somebody being mean to you. You can feel hurt. You can Somebody can genuinely have been mean to you. But that act of them being mean to you, that wasn't bullying necessarily. You know, like I just think we need to really examine and remember what bullying is because you were kind of diluting the meaning if we just say that you felt bullied or that somebody was being like bullying because you were hurt by something, you know? Or even the way Medina described it of like, she kept asking me and kept... Like maybe you were badgered. Maybe you were like overwhelmed. Bullying is like this very traumatizing experience that can like genuinely shape your like self image for life. Like I I was bullied for most of my childhood and I'm still working through that in therapy even though I haven't been bullied in like over a decade because it is genuinely like it, it to me it's just, it's a very serious thing. And I don't like the way people use the word bully to describe somebody being mean to them. And I think also, not always, but I think a lot because sometimes people can exclude you and maybe their intent wasn't like bad, 
But I think a lot of bullying, the intent feels, from my experience, it feels very like mean and malicious. Like it's not just, what happened with Medina and Maria was Maria was maybe kind of invalidating. And then when she was addressed, she was like, I wasn't trying to like, I just don't want, I don't think that's something you should feel insecure about. If I had that experience, I wouldn't be like, oh, you know, like I just, I think that really matters. I really don't like this use of bullying when you have some kind of interpersonal conflict. I don't know the exact definition of bullying, but I'm pretty sure it has to do with like ongoing harassment. It's like a repeated behavior. It is like a serious thing that I just think we should be aware of how we use the word bully because bullying is a serious thing and it's a serious allegation, accusation. Like I, I just, I think I don't love using the word bully to say that you were hurt by something. And that is my little spiel. I will probably go into this more, even though I probably don't want to. Anyways, so then after Medina's one-on-one time with Joey, he goes back and he addresses the group and it's the scene from the cold open that we saw. Then back at the mansion, the women wait for the date card. Caitlin says in her ITMs that she sometimes thinks there's a curse that she's destined to be single forever. This is like a little hint of like what she talks about later that we'll get into. And the date card is a one-on-one and it's for Jen, which I'm excited about. Jen's been in my like top four, top five. I don't really know. I don't have like a top five predictions, just people I'm like, I, I, I'm keeping my eye on them. And I've been keeping my eye on Jen, honestly, since before the first episode because she fosters cats and I foster cats. So I'm like, I like her because of that. Um, and I like her vibe like so far. If she fostered cats, but then I, she acted like Sydney on the show or somebody I don't really vibe with on the show, it wouldn't have been the same thing. But like, I've been rooting her for, for her from the beginning. So anyways, then back on the group date, we see Joey finish his addressing of the group. He gives the group date rose to Kelsey A. Then Joey leaves the group with like an ominous message about like the bullying comment. Maria is confused. Medina says that it was about her conversation, but she just said she felt bullied and she didn't use names. And then Sydney jumps in and says that she felt bullied too. Maria like even says at some point, like, I, I don't know why you're in this or like, I don't want to hear from you or something. When she's like trying to address the situation because it's like, Sydney, what, what, what do you have to do with this at all? Like what you are making it worse. You are making it worse. Something I learned in therapy is about like acting effectively versus making a situation worse. And I just feel like Sydney made the situation worse at every turn. She's like trying to defuse it. She's trying to defend her friends. And all she's doing is making it worse. I I think it's important to defend your friends. I'm not saying don't defend your friends, but I think there's also a point where it's like, Medina has a voice, she has her own place. Maria has tried to squash it with her individually. At this point, like maybe you as a friend should bring it up or something and bring it to Medina's attention and then she wants to address it or if Medina doesn't feel like she can properly have that conversation, maybe you can help. But like, at what point are you just involving yourself in a conflict that had nothing to do with you because you're friends with like, you know what I mean? Like, what did, what role does Sydney even have to do with it at this point? Like, okay, she overheard the first initial thing, right? She told Medina and then Medina could deal with it individually. Why is she still acting she's, like she's Medina's voice? 
Like, Medina can speak for herself. She can resolve this conflict by herself. It's not like Maria's going around, continuing to shit-talk or continue, or even shit-talking at all. She never shit-talk Medina, but, like, she's not even harping on the issue. She squashed it. Cindy's the one who keeps bringing it up. What is this? Anyways, oh God, I'm literally annoyed. <sighs> Sydney says Maria is always talking shit. Again, what do you define as talking shit? Then Maria calls Sydney Miss Troublemaker, Missy Troublemaker, which I thought was so funny because it's so true. She's making the situation worse. Sydney calls Maria catty and then Maria's like, but what do you mean? Like, you need to provide me context. And she's like, you're just a catty person. That's what it is. And it's like, no, no, that's actually not what it is. I'm I'm a big believer of being like, this behavior, this thing you said upset me. I don't believe in calling people catty and calling people mean. I don't believe in that in general. I think maybe when there's like a repeated behavior and somebody doesn't seem to care, maybe I would then be like, I just feel like this person is a mean person. But overall, when there is a conflict, I am of the approach that it is ineffective to say, Maria, you were a catty person. You could say, I felt hurt by that, or I don't feel like you're considered. I feel in like invalidated but why are you making this general statement about who maria is as a person you barely know her people are not like defined by one incident this incident doesn't define who maria is as a person you don't know her even if she was catty in this incident that doesn't mean she's a catty person and you're not even giving her advice on what is it's just it really it really bothers me it really bothers me and i know that no that not everybody's gonna like talk like communicate their feelings effectively i think it just bothers me coming from sydney because she's like she's talking from such like a level she's like on a high horse talking about how somebody else is caddy and somebody's bullying and it's like you are communicating so ineffectively that anyways keep going on unnecessary rants but like i'm really mad about this episode then allison steps in and says she doesn't think maria is a bully she's just bold actually no she says this in her itms not that many people interject in this in this conversation which is fair i wouldn't want to be sydney's next target then sydney says she's walking away and that anybody can join her nobody does which I, I will admit maybe because she said that doesn't mean that the editing maybe was misleading that the producer said you guys can't get up. We don't know the behind the scenes, but it is funny. The next morning we see women talking and Edwina talks about the bullying comment to those who were not on the group date. And she says in her ITMs that Maria is not a bully. And I just appreciate that. We see Maria and Medina squash the incident. They talk one-on-one -on -one, and Medina says that she wants Maria to be good with Sydney. And again, it's like, why is Sydney involved in this issue? This wasn't even about Sydney. Let's say Sydney was defending her friend. Okay, you brought the issue to your friend who wasn't there. Now your friend can handle it by yourself. Why does Maria need to be good with Sydney? Maria didn't even say anything allegedly shit-talky about Sydney. If I was Medina, I would be more hurt by the fact that Sydney made this entire thing about her when I was the one who was originally hurt and felt invalidated. How is she, how is this being a good friend if, if that's her, her goal? Like, I just don't understand Sydney's goal. Is it to, to resolve the situation because you're just adding fuel to the fire? It, like, it just feels like her end goal is for Maria to leave. And to me, that is so stupid. This is an environment where you don't choose the people you're around. 
just don't talk to Maria. You don't have to be friends with her, but like you don't get to say of like, you don't want Maria here. So you're going to throw a hissy fit until she leaves. Like it's a little bit gross to me. And she even says later in the episode in one of her ITMs that like Maria can leave and then we can have a peaceful journey. It's like Maria's presence is making her uncomfortable for whatever reason. So it's her mission to get Maria to leave. Like it's not about helping her friend. It's not about stopping a bully. It's not about Joey's heart and him deserving to know or whatever. It feels like, and what is coming across to me is that her goal is for Maria to not be there. And to me, that is a mean thing to do. But anyways, moving on. Joey's second one-on-one of the season is with Jen. They pick out wetsuits and they go surfing. It's a very cute day portion where there's not a ton of talking, it's just them kind of surfing. And it's re- it's really cute. They seem to have good chemistry. I like I like them together. And not to make everything about astrology, but <laughs> he's a Gemini and she's a Sagittarius, very compatible. I myself love a Sagittarius. I know in the last episode I said, if you're an Aquarius and you're single, let me know. But if you're a Sagittarius and you're, all, you're single, also let me know. I'm also open to Libras. (laughs) I don't date exclusively based on star sign. I just think it's fun to to talk about. I, I, I barely date at all. What am I saying? Anyways, then on the night portion, Jen opens up about her family and how her parents had a bad relationship. Her dad even slept in their basement for like six years and it really impacted her self-worth and her view on relationships. And she talks about how she and her dad no longer talk. Back at the mansion, the women get the next date card. It's a pun about playing singles. So it's obviously a tennis date. Then we go back to Jen's date and it ends with like lights. I think it's like drone lights. I don't really know. It's unclear, but they're clear. They're not fireworks, but I don't really understand technology. I think they're, it's like drone lights or something. And the lights ask her to accept the rose. It's super cute. She says, yes, love them. I'm rooting for Jen. She's, she's, I'm predicting hometowns for her, but I, I don't know. And I'm not saying like she goes home at hometowns. I'm just saying she gets to at least hometowns. But if she doesn't, then I never said this. Okay, I'm kidding. The second group day is like a tennis tournament thing. There are tennis legends there to give them lessons and then they play a tournament. They're also, they're in teams of two and they have cutesy costumes. So there's like lobster and butter. There's like babies. I didn't write down all of the pickle and no, I don't know. There's like, it's like cutesy like that. But anyways, Evelyn and Kelsey T win. Kelsey T is not the one from New Orleans. She's now I can tell them apart. I think they were they went on two separate dates. So I finally was like, okay, A and T. Like now I can remember which letter goes to who. Evelyn and Kelsey T win the tournament. What prize do they get? Nothing. See, that's what I'm saying about like the tournaments and the prizes and and like these competitions not necessarily meaning anything. Sometimes it's like a play for time and it's like Edwina got basically a one-on-one date because she was the MVP of the paintball wedding or no that wasn't the wedding dress date the paintball boot camp date from like last capture the heart flag thing from last week like sometimes they matter but sometimes it's just like okay you got a title not that you shouldn't like you should have fun you should play but anyways on the night portion of the date the first one-on-one time we see is with caitlin and she opens up about her family and how all the women in her family are single. And this is like the family curse that she was hinting towards earlier in the episode. Joey, Joey's so sweet. Somebody will say something like negative or like, oh God, this, my family has a curse, you know, like everybody's still single. And he's like, it sounds like you just have like 
a lot of strong, independent women in your life who don't need men to feel validated. Like, he makes it a positive. I love it. Later, Daisy says that, like, her cochlear implant makes her different. And he's like, no, it makes you special. He's really good at that. At that, You know, somebody saying something that they feel is maybe a weakness and him turning it into a positive. It's so sweet. Then we see one-on-one time with Rachel and her earring gets caught in his sweater when they like go to hug. It's super cute. She opens up about her family and talks about how Joey reminds her of her dad because he really respects women and he's like really caring and nurturing and it's sweet. They seem to have a good moment. Then we see brief one-on-one time with Kelsey T. He's like giving her more pointers for tennis. And then we see one-on-one time with Daisy that I was talking about where she, she talks about her cochlear implant asks if he has any other questions, asks if, she, if he wants to touch it. And she says, like, I know it makes me different. And he's like, no, it makes you special. Like, he's just super sweet. And then Caitlin gets the group date rose, which I was a little bit surprised by, but I wasn't upset because I really like Caitlin. So I'm glad she's sticking around because I, I like her vibes. I don't know if Paradise is happening this year. Somebody said that it wasn't. Chris Harrison said that it wasn't. And he's no longer affiliated. So like, how would he know? But also... One of my favorite Bachelor, I swear to God, I talk about them every episode, but I, well, one of the hosts of my favorite Bachelor podcast said that he doesn't think Paradise is happening this year just because of the Golden Bachelorette. It might be too many shows. And if they have to drop one, it'll probably be Paradise because it's doing the worst. But if there is Paradise, I hope Caitlyn goes because love her, but I don't think she's going to end up with Joey. No hate to her. Like I genuinely love her. I just don't think that they have the strongest connection, but who knows? She could come out of nowhere and take the lead. You never know with the with the show it's rare that 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 somebody seemingly has very little screen time and then they come on strong but you know it could happen then back at the mansion we see leia and sydney talking and leia says she doesn't want anyone to go home except maybe and then they like they don't say maria but they like laugh and it's like clear they're talking about maria sydney says that maria is like intimidated by her and she's the only one who's like not afraid of her and i have a question for sydney is this not shit talking is this not catty behavior because i'm just kind of confused on her definitions of things how is maria catty and this isn't and i'm not saying that maybe maria did something catty that we didn't see i'm just saying like don't throw rocks in a glass house I don't understand. This doesn't make any sense. In her ITM, Sydney says she's not the drama and she tells Leia that she's not one to tattle, but it's gone too far. And again, I ask Sydney, what is your goal? What is your end goal if not to get Maria to leave? Because that just feels like what she wants is to get Maria to leave. It doesn't feel like she wants to squash the beef. It doesn't feel like she wants to stand up for Medina. It like it feels like her goal at this point is to get Maria to leave and then she'll be happy. And I'm pissed about it because that to me is mean catty mean girl behavior but anyways the next day jesse says the cocktail party is canceled because there's a pool party instead very typical for this stage of the of the show they always do a pool party instead of a cocktail party which i would hate i would genuinely hate it i don't really know it's sponsored by kfc i'm a vegetarian i would also hate this because i'd be like great I get to eat like potatoes and french fries maybe if the french fries don't have like lard in them or something. So I'm like, I don't know. I don't, I wouldn't love this, but you know, they are preparing them for SpawnCon. So this is fine, but God forbid to somebody say that they have an Instagram account. (laughs) I hope the tide is turning though on the Instagram hatred from the franchise. Joey rides up to the mansion on a motorcycle, which is so slay. (laughs) 
I literally wrote, Joey rides up on motorcycle. So slay. We see Joey and Rachel feed each other mac and cheese. And she says, it's finger looking good, finger licking good. And she kind of laughs. I, I, I like that. Then we see them hula. We see brief one-on-one time with Kelsey T again. We always like, we get like brief moments where like they seem to be vibing, but there's no, there's not much there. She's like, she's my wild card because I feel like she might come out of nowhere. I don't know. There's something about Kelsey T where the way they edit her, I'm like, I feel like she is going to have a one-on-one in a couple episodes that's going to be like a hard hitter and then she'll push through. Like she'll, you know, sometimes there's like a woman who's kind of like, or a contestant who's like not really there much, but they seem to be vibing well and it doesn't seem to just be friendly. Like there seems to be chemistry and then they get a really good one-on-one and they kind of pull ahead from other women that maybe we were getting more one-on-one time. I feel like that might happen with Kelsey T, but what do I know? Then we see brief one-on-one time with Kelsey A. Sydney is talking to the women about how Maria is manipulating them. Then Sydney talks to Joey and she tattles. She says Maria attacked Medina. She says that after Joey left at the group date and he talked about the bullying, Medina said that it was about her. And then Maria attacked Medina. And when Sydney stood up for Maria, she became Maria's target. Those are the words to use. She said she became Maria's target. Now, how is Maria targeting you? It feels like you are target- targeting Maria. And I'm a broken record at this point, but I'm just genuinely so angry about this whole situation. I think for many levels, one, because it feels so such an ineffective unhealthy way to communicate and like conflict which is common in reality tv people are not the best at communicating and resolving conflict i'm not the best at resolving conflict like i'm not trying to come from like a point of like my high horse i'm not i'm a human being too but i think it's just so frustrating when you have those moments where it's like what where did this start and how has this become what it is you know it's hard it's frustrating as a viewer And it's frustrating when you're in those situations too. And I'm sure Maria is frustrated of like, how did this become what it is? You know, like there's that level. And then there's also a level for me where I'm really upset by the word bully being thrown around to address the situation. Because you know what I genuinely feel like as an example of bullying on this show? The whole Shanae like making fun of Elizabeth's ADHD. Because that is targeting somebody for something they can't control. ADHD is a, a disability. It's like if somebody is making fun of your ethnic background. Like those kind of things to me are where it becomes malicious and bullying and nasty. This is just not it. And it's really upsetting me for many reasons. Um... But anyways, Sydney says she like verbally attacked me and I just sat there and held my composure. She called me embarrassing, weird, and dumb. I ended up walking away. I just couldn't be in that hostile environment. Now, I, I just, I, I, were we watching the same, the same show? <laughs> like, did we experience the same thing? Joey is like upset and he's kind of caught off guard. He says in his ITMs that he has no reason not to trust Sydney. Then he pulls Maria to chat and it cuts to commercial. Then after the commercial, the girls are talking about how the drama is robbing them of time. Sydney feels bad, but she thinks she had no other choice. And then we see Joey and Maria's talk. Joey brings up the issue, says he wants to hear Maria's side. Maria is caught off guard and like clearly upset. 
She says that she's been bullied and this is not it and she wouldn't want to make somebody feel the way that she has. And I really feel for her because I feel like this is how I would feel in this situation because I very much see myself... I I was listening to another podcast talk about this episode and, and it was Dear Shandy. I just plug all these podcasts. But... Charlene, one of the hosts, said something that was like so that really resonated with me. Where it was like a lot of the times when we watch these shows, we're like, I would have done this differently, or I would have said this differently. But like, I genuinely feel like I don't know what I what I would have done if I was in Maria's place. Like, I don't. I genuinely don't know what I would do if I was in this situation. So, I really feel for Maria. Like, I really do. Anyways, um. And Maria says, I feel like I'm not being received as good as I thought I would be here. And that made me really sad. Maria cries in her ITMs. Like, she's clearly distraught by this. I don't... Like, I'm I'm upset on her behalf. Ugh. Then Maria says to Joey that if he likes Sydney, he can't like her. Because they're just two different people. And Joey admits that he should have asked more questions of Sydney because... She, he didn't get much concrete examples. And Joey says in his ITMs that how Maria was talking felt more real than how Sydney was talking to him, which I think is something of no. And the pool party ends. Sydney says she feels good about her conversation. Autumn says enough is enough. And Sydney cuts her off. Like, she says she she's she's she tried to squash it and she's sorry the women didn't get time but it just had to be addressed again what is your goal her goal is to get maria to go home like you can't convince me there's any other goal and i don't want to read into people's intentions and i really i think part of the reason i'm really frustrated with the situation is most of the time when i'm watching these shows i can have so much grace and i can be like it's not that big a deal and obviously it's not like the end of the world but it's genuinely upsetting me like it's genuinely making me angry in a way I haven't felt watching the show in a really long time because no it didn't it didn't need to be addressed this was like a non-issue I even brought this up in therapy (laughs) not because of how much it was like distressing me just because I was talking about another situation and I was like this reminds me of something that happened on The Bachelor anyways that's neither here nor there like I didn't bring this up and I was like I have something I need to talk about that wasn't why I brought it up but I did end up like talking about the situation in reference to like something else personally that I was talking about and so it's just like I like I don't know and my therapist agreed with me (sighs) Maria says and because Sydney's like it needed to be done and Maria's like Joey seemed really confused so I don't really think you gave him many answers as you haven't really given me many answers and then Sydney's like this is where we have manipulation I don't understand how this is manipulative. Again, it's an edited show. Maybe something was... I just... I really... I genuinely try so much to watch these shows with like... I don't know what's going on. I don't know these people. This is a weird environment. And all those things are true. I think I'm also having a hard time because Sydney posted a video like talking about gaslighting and how like you might witness gaslighting in the latest episode of The Bachelor. So she like has doubled down. She did delete the video, but it's just hard for me to understand where you're coming from, you know? Anyways, then the rose ceremony happens and the rose is presented in order. Mind you, Caitlyn, Jen, and Kelsey A all have 
roses already. Okay, so roses presented in order Lexi, Leia, Kelsey T, Rachel, Medina, Daisy, Jess, Edwina, Autumn, Allison, Maria, and Sydney. Sydney gets the final rose, duh. Going home are Krista, Star, and Evelyn. And Evelyn going home is an attack on 4TRR. This show, they get so angry about somebody mentioning Instagram because they're not here for the right reasons. But then somebody comes in and says, I'm here for the right reasons. I put it on a jacket. And they're sent home over Sydney. And I know, I know it's for the drama and there's a classic two-on-one coming this upcoming week. And I am excited about that, okay? We haven't had like a really good two-on-one in a hot minute, okay? I will admit, I'm excited for the two-on-one. Like, it's good content. I understand why they kept Sydney. But like, they couldn't have kept Evelyn. Like, you're telling me Autumn has a stronger connection than Evelyn? Like, Autumn has, we've barely gotten anything from her. Evelyn had some more personality. It's an attack on 4TR. Maria talks in her ITMs about how she's ready to move forward. Poor Maria, I feel so bad for her. She's stuck in this shitty situation. And then the end card, like the credits are Jesse eating chicken in the pool. Next week, there are two episodes, so I will be covering both of them. But anyways, that's where we end. Predictions that I have. I think Maria's gonna make it through the two-on-one. I would be surprised if Sydney does. Like, I, I think Maria's gonna get that rose and she's gonna live to see another day. People that I feel good about, I think Lexi is one to watch. I don't think Leia's gonna last very long. I like Kelsey T. I think she might get like a one-on-one that and she'll pull forward and last a little bit longer. But if she doesn't get a one-on-one in the next couple episodes, I feel like she might be going home. Rachel, I don't really know. Medina is probably going home soon. Daisy's there until the end for sure. <laughs> no, spo- I don't know any spoilers. This is just my guess. Jess, I don't really think she'll last very long. Edwina, love her. Don't think she's going to last very long. Autumn, I, I forgot she was even here. No hate to Autumn. Allison... Also don't think she's gonna last very long. And Maria's a question mark. Sydney's going home, Maria's a question mark. Kelsey A, the one from New Orleans, I think she is gonna go a little bit far. Maybe she'll get to hometowns or she'll go at fifth place. I feel like some cool people go up fifth place. Becca Martinez from Ari's season, she went out fifth place. That's like one of my favorite, who else went out fifth place? I can't think of anybody right now, but there's somebody else who I really like who went out fifth place. Maybe it was um, Abigail from Matt James's season. I don't know. I feel like some really cool people go home right before hometowns. <laughs> I don't know. Daisy, definitely getting a hometown. Definitely. I, da- Daisy's final too, I think. Jen, I think hometowns. Okay. My prediction for hometowns, I don't know. Lexi, Daisy, Kelsey A, and Jen. I don't really know. I have no idea. I'm talking out of my ass. Moving on. Moving on. I'm not going to make predictions. I'll make predictions at the end of next week. Moving on to Vanderpump Rules. This is season 11, episode two, and it's called The Ultimate Betrayal. So we open at Tom and Ariana's house. Ariana's getting ready. Then we see Tom greet Anne, his assistant, and we find out that he just got back from the Special Forces. He talks about how he'd been receiving a lot of hate and he needed to learn to be able to handle like challenges and also penance through pain. And I don't even know. I, I tune it out when he talks, even though I did take notes. He talks about how it's been a while since he has seen Schwartz. He's mad about a podcast that Schwartz did. He Schwartz went on Jax's podcast and said, like talked shit, if you will, about Tom Touring, which like is a fair critique, you know? Their bar went to shit and he like left town for like months at a time. I'd be mad if I was Schwartz too. 
Then Tom Sandoval's birthday is coming up, so he wants to have people over for his birthday. We also find out he got a white no- noise machine because there's like a little bit, they in their confessionals, they ask Tom why, or they ask Tom and Ariana separately, obviously, like how it is living with their ex. And they talk a little bit about that. We find out that Tom got a white noise machine because he didn't want people to overhear him. And a lot of people were overhearing him at the height of the scandal. Then we see Ariana take her dog out and while she lets the dog out she and Anne talk about the party idea Ariana says no so she'll call the cops if people are really loud so that's a big issue he wants a party she's gonna call the cops I don't really know how I feel about that I'll get more into it then at Villa Rosa we see Lisa getting ready it's the last night at Pump because Pump is closing R.I.P. I never got to go to Pump I've never been to any of the restaurants. I don't know. I really want to go. I live in LA, but like I started watching the show because my sister started watching the show. I'm like, I don't think she would care. Maybe she would about like Sir, but I don't think she would care if I had gone to Pump Alone. I don't really know. It just feels like a betrayal to go without my sister. But anyways, that's neither here nor there. Whenever something about her opens, I'm going though, because that's like, I don't need to dine in. I just want to go in, get a sandwich and leave, you know? So it's also easier to go alone. Not that you can't go to a fancy restaurant alone, but it's like a little bit more fun if you go with somebody to like a nice outing, you know? Anyways, then we see James and Ali walking, going for a walk. They talk about getting a dog. James says that Lisa asked about Graham, his dog with Raquel, and James doesn't know where where Graham is, but he does miss him. And James and Ali, we find out they have a flight to Chicago for some gig that James is DJing. So they're not going to Pump's funeral. They don't call it Pump's funeral, I did. Then we're back at Tom and Ariana's house again and his friend Jason is there to see Tom. Tom talks about how he lost a lot of long-term friends. So the ones who stuck around mean a lot to him. Jason's one who stuck around. Tom says he hasn't heard from Raquel. He misses her, wants to hear from her. He's still in love with her and wants to give their relationship a chance. Then they talk about the party and Anne's like, yeah, she said she would call the cops. So I don't know if, if that's really on. And Jason's like, you should have it anyway. And then they basically have this idea to compromise. So Anne sends a message that they'll have everybody out by midnight. Then we see Ariana and Lala meet for smoothies and they talk about the party and how Ariana got the text about the compromise thing. And she talks about how she'd call the cops. And this conversation is interesting to me because Lala is like, you aren't really getting the kind of person he is. She's like, why would you call the cops? And he's like, and she's like, because it's my house and I have to be up the next day. And she said in her confessionals that Tom, when he like has thrown parties in the past, people go home at like six in the morning. And now that like they're not together, she doesn't have to deal with that. You know, she lives her own independent life and she has things to do which is fair I get that I wouldn't want to live with somebody who was throwing parties where people went home at six in the morning like I I get it I like I I'm torn on the whole thing because I don't really I'm just generally against calling the cops for stuff like a noise complaint like that feels much you know um I under I also understand her emotions I just think we live in a very like calling them cops I feel like should be a very serious thing. And I don't like noise complaints probably, but anyways, um, that's neither here nor there. I just really wouldn't bring the cops into it. Lala asks Ariana if it wouldn't just be easier for Ariana to move out. And she says that she will when the house is sold. And 
I saw some clips from the after show that they've been doing on Peacock, I think. And Lala and Sheena don't seem to really understand why Arana wouldn't just leave. But from my understanding, if you like her living in the house, like she obviously she owns part of it. But I feel like if she left the house for like a certain amount of time, then Tom would more easily be able to claim it. Like she doesn't want to leave the house until it's sold, because if she leaves the house and she starts living somewhere else, then maybe Tom could have more of a reason to buy her out legally. I don't really know how that works, but I'm sure he would have more of a leg to stand on to be like, she isn't even here anymore. Why can't I just buy her out and keep the house? If she's there, then she's standing her ground that it's still half her house and she isn't going to just do what he wants in regards to something that she owns as well, which I think is fair. I I said this last week, but I think it makes total sense that she wouldn't want to to leave him the house. I do think it's kind of unfair that he broke up their relationship and then he gets the the house. Ariana put a lot of love and care into that house too, and you didn't seem to consider that when you cheated on her. Like I don't know, it's just weird to me. Then Ariana talks about how she's considering children now with her current partner dan she says in retrospect tom being my partner affected my feelings on having kids a lot more than i thought it did which is interesting so i'm glad she froze her eggs i'm glad and last season there was some conversation of like tom hadn't gone to fertilize the eggs yet they did not end up doing that she confirmed that after scandal that her eggs are like separate from they didn't make any embryos at least her eggs are frozen intact without his you know it's not they don't have it they don't have embryos together it's just her eggs which is good because that gives her more options but anyways then we see lisa and ken arrive at pump lisa gives a speech we see kind of a highlight reel of pump's greatest hits then lala and sheena arrive katie schwartz and ariana arrive all separately but like one after the other then schwartz bartends very briefly which is a nice throwback to the one time he did like one shift when Pump was opening and had a panic attack and never bartended there again. Then we see Schwartz and Lisa have a talk about his bar. He says the partners don't want to work with Sandoval. They told him he wasn't welcome there. And he kind of just talks about how much the bar has been struggling. Then we see Sheena and Brock at a recording studio. She's DJing emo night again with Ariana and Katie. They did it in April and they're doing it again. This is, I think, around June is when the, the season started filming, maybe a little bit later in the summer. Because of the emo night, they're they're making a good as gold emo version. And then Brock and Sheena talk a little bit about a nanny for emo night and she opens up about having postpartum OCD and she hasn't really been able to let anybody outside of her family watch her daughter, which I I think I didn't know about postpartum OCD until like last year when I heard somebody else talking about it. I feel like there are so many things that happen to your body and your mind when you experience pregnancy that and like postpartum and all that. And I don't think it's talked about it enough. And I think it's great to talk. I think it's very important. I think talking about mental health in general is so important, but I think when it comes especially to like pregnancy and postpartum, if, if you have a child and you're immediately then parenting the child, like there's so much focus on you are caring for another living being now that sometimes what you've just experienced is lost in the conversation. So I think it's just important to talk about that. And postpartum OCD is not something I had ever really 
heard much about, so I think it's an important thing to talk about. Anyways, then we see Schwartz and Sandoval meeting at like a bar. Sandoval brings Schwartz some shoes as a gift. Sandoval isn't drinking. Schwartz gets him like a non-alcoholic beer. He said that he started because Raquel was going to a treatment center and couldn't drink, and he didn't want to be like partying while she was there not doing that, and he thought that when she came back, they could stay sober together. Tom says that he had to tour because his account was overdrawn and Ariana hadn't paid any bills for like eight months. And so that especially hurt him that Schwartz was talking about him touring on Jax's podcast because like he needed to because of the money and this and that and the other. And Schwartz says that he was hurt that Tom just left. He understands like, yes, the partners of Schwartz and Sandy's said, we don't want you here. You're giving negative attention to this establishment. But I also understand why Schwartz is upset that then Tom, they told him that and then he just left and did nothing. To me, and Schwartz has given like so much to this bar. He probably feels like Sandoval doesn't even care. Like all of this negativity that was happening to the bar was because of Sandoval's actions. And then Sandoval doesn't give a shit to fix it. And it's like, yeah, maybe being there physically isn't going to help, but he could have seemed to care. Like he disappeared for like months to tour when their world went to shit because of him. I understand why Schwartz is upset and it is kind of seems to be a a pattern on Tom's part to deflect and, and make it about his feelings. And a time that he like, and the way that he was hurt by the situation, instead of being like, I'm sorry, I shouldn't have left. Even when he says sorry, he's like, I know what I did was fucked up. I know I fucked up. And I never hear him. I I feel like I've heard him say so many times, I know what I did is fucked up. He never says, I know leaving was fucked up. I know cheating was fucked up. He says, I know what I did was fucked up. It seems like kind of like a general catch-all, whatever this person thinks I did wrong. I'm going to say I know that what I did was wrong instead of actually directly saying what he did wrong. Does that make sense? Anyways, then Sandoval talks about his party and Schwartz says that he's invited to emo night as well. And then Sandoval's like, what are you going to do? And he's like, I'm going to do what's best for me. So it's like, where will he go? Then at Brock and Sheena's house, we see Tori, the babysitter, come to their house. And we find out that Sheena's mom can't lift Summer, their daughter, Sheena's daughter. So they need help for like being able to put her to bed and stuff like that because you can watch her but you can't really take care of her the way that she needs to be taken care of and i have to say i don't love the way brock talks in this scene it really really rubbed me the wrong way like sheena's mom talks about why how she's struggling to lift summer and then brock is like and with sheena's inability to move on or inability to let things go. And Sheena's like, that's not what it is. Like, it feels very dismissive. And then when Sheena stands up for herself and she's like, no, actually, that's not the case, Ellen. He's like, why'd you get so triggered? And he replies with anger. I did not like this interaction. Sheena gets upset. She cries. She's like, I wish I could. He says that she gets yes people around her. I just didn't like this interaction. Like, it feels like he was kind of mean. But I don't know the interworkings of their relationship. It could be edited. There could be a lot we didn't see. They eventually resolve the situation. It, it ends up being okay, but I didn't immediately like how Brooke came out. I didn't like how Brooke came across in this interaction, but it's a TV show. 
Anyways, then at James and Allie's new house, we see Schwartz come over because Allie's going to read his chart. She's like an, a, she's an astrologer professionally now, which is really cool. I'm happy for her. She brought, wanted to read Schwartz's chart because he could use direction, which is fair. And she says he's got more Libra in his chart than anyone he's ever seen. And Tom Schwartz is a Libra moon, Libra sun, Libra sun, Libra moon, Libra rising. Okay. All big three, all Libra. And I'm pretty sure he has like a couple more Libra in his chart. I think maybe he has a Libra Mars. I, I have a lot of Libra in my chart too. I'm a Gemini sun with a Libra moon, Libra rising. And then I have a Libra Mars. So like I have a lot of Libra in my chart, but like Schwartz is the epitome of a Libra to a fault. He is a Libra. One time Lisa Vanderpump on Watch What Happens Live said that Tom Schwartz sits on the fence so much that it's like permanently up his ass or something. I don't know what she said verbatim, but it was so funny. And I'm like, if that doesn't describe like Libras to a T, I don't know what does. It's so funny. But anyways, then Tom Sandoval texts James and invites him to his birthday party and schwartz is obviously there when he gets this test text it's this big thing james says i'll stop by but i probably won't be there for long and that's how that scene ends then at tom and ariana's house we see tom getting ready for his party we see katie and ariana getting ready for emo night and then we see ali and james in the car on the way to tom's party and james says he just wants an apology from tom of like i'm sorry that i hurt you i'm sorry i betrayed you and again I think what I have yet to see from Tom is him saying, I am sorry that I betrayed you. I am sorry that I broke your trust. I am sorry that I had an affair with your best friend. He says, like, he talks in these sweeping statements of like, I know what I did was so messed up. And it's like, what did you do that was so messed up? Like, what did you do that was messed up? He just, he, he's not specific. I don't like it. I don't like it. He could learn from Ethan Klein how to apologize. <laughs> oh, if you watch Age of Three, you get it. If you don't, that's fine. We see Ariane and Katie at Emo Night and then Sheena and Lala arrive. It's very brief. They're excited for, for Emo Night. And then we see Tom's party. We'd seen it a little bit before. There were a few people there. We see Schwartz arrive. There's a brief, this is like not that relevant, but there's like a brief shot of somebody trying to grab Ariana's cat, Kitty, and the cat running away. And the cat does not seem happy. And I don't know why it stood out to me. There's a clip, I think, from like the season preview where she says something about her children and everybody was like, what is Ariana talking about? And, and somebody was like, maybe the animals. And I'm not saying this has anything to do with it, but... I would be upset if I was watch if I was Ariana and was like my cat seems upset in the scene and like cats are like temperamental you know sometimes you can be cuddling and they seem super happy and they bite you out of nowhere I know that I know that experience well but this did bother me for truly not that big of a reason I just felt the need to mention it then we see Ali and James pull up to Tom's party she stays in the car she's like just text me when you're inside and, and like keep me posted she says in her confessionals that she never really had a relationship with Sandoval and she cares a lot about Ariana, so she just doesn't feel any need to engage with him, which I love. I, I love Ali. James and Sandoval talk. He is kind of hesitant. Like, James is like, do you want to talk? And he's like, sure. And then he, like, disappears for, like, five minutes. And then James is like, I was here to talk to Sandoval, and he left. So then somebody pulls Sandoval, and they finally have a conversation. And Sandoval deflects. They're talking about, like, things and crazy. And he's like, and James straight up is like, are you sorry for betraying me? 
And instead of saying, I'm sorry that I betrayed you, or even like a like a non-apology of like, I'm sorry that you felt that way, nothing. He says that I betrayed you. Well, when what you did, what you did with Kristen, and it's like, Kristen, uh, do you want to check what year we're in? It's 2023 when this was filmed. And, and James immediately is like, you're not going to bring up 10 years ago. And he gets up. And Tom is like, that wasn't 10 years ago. And then the show, which is really funny, shows a clip of them at the reunion talking about James and Kristen. And it says 2013, 10 years ago. <laughs> like, it was 10 years ago. Even if it was, like, five years ago. Even if it was nine years ago. Let's say it wasn't actually 10 years ago. Who cares? It's just, again, I don't... I really... I don't feel like he's, he's sorry. He's not sorry. He doesn't think that he betrayed James. He doesn't even think James has... And I, I don't know him. I, I don't actually know how he feels. But to me, it seems like he doesn't care that James was hurt. Like, he seems angry at the thought that James is upset. Because no, no, oh, you're mad about this? You slept with a Kristen. What does that have to do with anything? It, it's just, it's ridiculous to me. Like, it, it's ridiculous. I just, this man is, is unbelievably annoying. Because I, I think, I, I don't know if, I think maybe I saw this clip also from the after show that they put on Peacock, but it was like James saying that like, we spent time together, like, we hung out, we had, like, years of a relationship after the Kristen thing. And you're saying this entire time you were just angry about the Kristen thing and you hadn't moved on and you hadn't addressed it? No. I don't genuinely think he cares about Kristen. It's just he hears you did something wrong and his brain is like, well, you did something wrong once too. And it's like, that's not what we're talking about, though. It's like a more extreme version of what he did with Schwartz, where Schwartz is like, I'm really upset at how you handled this whole, how, like how you didn't really do much with the bar and you just left to torque. Like the catalyst of his beef with Schwartz was that Schwartz was upset with him. He was mad that Schwartz, and he's like, you should have just said that to my face. Like you shouldn't have said it publicly. But like at the, at the, at the end of the day, the, the inciting moment was that Schwartz was hurt by Sandoval's reaction and handling of the bar post-scandal. He was hurt, and maybe he didn't express it the best that he could have, but that's where it started. And instead of saying, oh shit, I hurt his feelings, I left him out to dry, Tom Sandoval got defensive that Schwartz would dare be like, how dare he say that? I genuinely, I have a hard time grasping how Tom Sandoval has like empathy and compassion for people because I understand to some degree being defensive when you feel like somebody is maybe attacking your character but how is it a consistent pattern that every time somebody says this thing you did upset me you jump to well I was upset too I was hurt too like how do you repeatedly react that way and not then take a moment to be like, I need to learn how to not make it about me instantly. I don't know. It's just like, if somebody says that hurt my feelings, why is your initial reaction to be like, well, you hurt my feelings once 10 years ago? Well, what are we talking about, Sandoval? Like, it, it makes my head hurt. He and Sydney might be friends. <laughs> I take that back. I'm sure Sydney doesn't, doesn't deserve Dom in her life. If, if you only listen to this portion, I was talking about Sydney from The Bachelor but that's neither here nor there. So anyways, James walks away because he's like, we're not going to talk about 10 years ago, which is fair. I, I acknowledge that. Like he asked him directly, are you sorry for betraying me? And he says, 
betraying you well after you did what you did with Kristen and James is like what I did with Kristen 10 years ago like that is crazy like you are telling me that what Tom is trying to present is that he was hurt this entire time these this 10 years let's look at some of the stuff that happened 10 years after this James got engaged to Raquel and Tom paid thousands of dollars of his own money to help plan this proposal but he was still mad about Kristen that entire time. No, he, he wasn't actually hurt about the Kristen thing. Anyways, it really makes me angry. So James walks away and he's like outside and he is like, what if I peed on Sandoval's bush? Allie's really like embarrassed about this. And she's like, it's Ariana's bush too. I don't endorse this. I think he, he would have done great by just walking away and letting it be there but i would love to read his birth chart he's got to have some aries somewhere imagine if he has an aries mars i feel like that would make so much sense but i don't know and then it's left on to be continued which i i don't know what they're going to continue the rest of him peeing on a bush i don't particularly care anyways moving on to the last show that i'm going to talk about the traders season two episode seven blood on their hands so episode six ended on the cliffhanger of will pilot pete accept the invitation to be a traitor right okay i was i was gagging i was left wondering it opens with the traders in their turret and there's a knock on the door so it's either going to be peter it's going to be alan and alan walks in peter declined the invitation which kind of a flop move but it's not his fault the 4trr runs too deep like it runs too deep he cannot escape being the bachelor he will with his whole heart be sincere until the day he dies like the 4tr runs too deep it's in his veins it's in his blood it's in his entire being he cannot for the life of him be for the wrong reasons which i don't really think totally trans it doesn't it's not a one-to-one comparison because being for the wrong reasons on a show where like the end goal is finding love being deceptive on The Bachelor has very different implications than being deceptive on a show called The Traitors. Because at that point, like, you know, like it's it's a different environment, but it runs so deep that he can't even act differently in a different environment. He can't even be like, no, it's okay. He's too, he's too for the right reason that he can't even entertain the idea of being a little bit for the wrong reasons on a show where you have to be for the wrong reasons to win. It's crazy. It's crazy. Poverty shocked. Peter in his confessional says that he wants to win the right way and he couldn't betray his friends. The 4TR runs too deep. The 4TR runs too deep. That's what they could have called this episode. Season 2, episode 7, the 4TR runs too deep. Nobody would understand except a select few, but those who get it, get it. (laughs) Then Parvati knows she's toast. Like, she knows that the end is near for her she says the bachelor is not seducible like she says peter is not seducible and it's like that's not true he's famous for fucking four times in a windmill he can be seduced he can be maybe it maybe if this this was filmed in a windmill instead of like a castle maybe the power of the windmill would compel him but i don't (laughs) i don't know but not true fact check not true this bachelor can be seduced there are some bachelors that cannot be seduced. Peter is not one of them. He's he's quite the opposite. His reputation is that he fucks. <laughs> Anyways, the next morning at breakfast, the, the first two people in are Phaedra and Bergie. Then we see MJ, Kate, and Sheree walk in. And 
Berkey talks about his group and how they think that Parvati's a traitor. They were like, we were sure about Dan and Parvati's are number one, like everybody in my group, which I, I, I've established the groups. It's like Bergie, Trishel, John, Kevin, and Peter are in that faithful group. And then there's kind of like the other side of the house was there were like three cliques. There were the faithful, then there were like the Bravo people, then there were the gamers. And most, and the, the faithful are the ones who have stuck around the most, like they're the strongest alliance, while the other two alliances have kind of whittled down, so now they're their own side of the house. And Sandra, even later in the episode, calls them the leftovers. So it is kind of like the faithful, which that was Janelle's alliance, that she's the first to go from their group, and then the leftover people. So CT, Parvati, and Sandra are in next Parvati in her confessional says she's unsure what Peter will say, but either way, she's ready for battle. Then Peter and John are in next. Peter in his confessional says he's not letting up on Parvati. Peter whispers to John that he has something to tell him. Then Kevin and Trishel come in and everyone's shocked because they were like, it's between Kevin and Trishel. So they both come in and they're like, nobody was murdered. Somebody had to have gotten recruited. Nobody says anything. Peter doesn't share with the group. Alan comes in and he doesn't share anything, but he just like, we'll do the challenge later. He makes a joke about the woods so they know that they're going to be going through the woods. Then Parvati asks the group who was recruited, says in confessional, she wants to move the suspicion to Peter. Kate says... A faithful could have turned it down. She's like, let's not, let's have faith in our faithful. She doesn't say that. She's like, let's have, like, let's trust our faithful. Someone could have turned it down. And Parvati says in her confessionals with her leopard print headband that she is ready to come for Peter. Love that. Love the P versus P. I have to say, I was so sad that Peter did not accept being a traitor just because I couldn't make my PPP jokes. If you don't know, Ari Leindyke Jr., who was a former bachelor and a former trader, um, he accepted PPP loans at the height of, at the beginning of quarantine in 2020, when PPP loans were offered to small businesses that needed to stay afloat. He took one. And I, I would say if there was one business that really didn't need much support in the height of when people couldn't go out was content creating because people were watching more things because they were staying inside more. And content creation is something you can do from your house. So if that was his job and his quote unquote small business he needed a loan for, I don't really see the connection. I just, I was excited for the traders to be PPP so I could spread the awareness. <laughs> I, <laughs> anyways, oh. Ireland Jr. himself spoke <laughs> to Peter Weber and said, don't do it. <laughs> then after breakfast, the group separate in the mansion, Peter's side of the house and then the rest of the people. Peter tells his group of people that he was recruited but declined. Phaedra starts walking into the room where Peter's group is gathered. It's Trishel, John, Kevin, Peter. I think that's it. I, anyways. And Phaedra's, they're like in a group and Phaedra starts walking in and Peter asks Phaedra to leave the room. And Phaedra says in her confessionals that his group is the Peter Pals and then there's like the rest of the people. And she tells her group that she was turned away. 
And I have to say, I think this is where you really see the different, or at least I do personally, like the different rules and how people function on their shows, like how those different like ground rules that people exist in impacts the way they play this game. Because on The Bachelor, that is like cool. That's like fine. That's normal for somebody to be like, hey, can I steal you for a second? Or actually, no, we're not done talking. Give us a minute. That's normal on The Bachelor. That's okay. If you're on Big Brother, I don't know about Survivor because I haven't seen much of it, but on Big Brother, if somebody walks into a room and you're like, hey, can you give us a moment? Most of the time that's suspicious. Like if you're having a conversation and you can't have the other person here, you want to just pretend that not it's not weird that they walked in and then find time later. Like you don't say, hey, can you leave? The rules of the games are different and you can see that. And that's why I think this is an arrow error on peter's part and then maybe if he had some kind of big brother training this wouldn't have like it's just interesting to me because it's like that's normal on the bachelors to say hey give us a second and he was the lead too so he had like some power on big brother specifically because that's the competition show that i feel like i know most about like and i mean competition that you're playing for prize money i know i I believe wholeheartedly the bachelor is a sport but it's a very different kind of sport I think that like on those shows, you don't really say, hey, can you give us a second or I need a moment? Like most of the time it's suspicious. Sometimes you can do that if you're like the head of household, whatever. The point is the rules are different and I think you can notice that because to me, this is an error. And then Phaedra tells her group that he was, that she was turned away. Then we, we see Peter's group again. Trishel says that she thinks Phaedra is a traitor and that they should get her up first. Phaedra tells her group that Peter turned her away. And then we see Peter's group again. And Trishel is saying that she thinks Phaedra is a traitor and that they should get her out first because Parvati doesn't have a ton of people. Phaedra has the Bravo people and CT is a swing and Sandra is a swing. Parvati doesn't really have numbers on her side, if you will. So Trishel thinks that they should go for Phaedra first. Peter's like, no, listen to me. Harvardy is the better decision, whatever. Then Peter, then MJ tries to join the Peter Powell's congregating and they say no to her too. And they turn her away. And again, I think this is such an error. Like he did it once. I mean, he did it multiple times in the last episode, but he did it once and then he did it twice. Like maybe the first time, like you don't think much of it, but if multiple people are coming into your room, like just have the conversation later. And I understand that Peter thinks like, I'm gonna get murdered, I don't have time. But it, it to me, it just, it, it feels like an error. Like you can't just keep turning people away at some point. Because I think what I'm having a hard time with is that the game isn't just getting out all the traitors. That isn't just the game. You're not all gonna be there at the end. Like as much as you kumbaya, and you love each other and you trust your friends, people, you're not you're not all gonna be there at the end. I don't really know because it hasn't happened, but I feel like they would just add a traitor if all the traitors got banished. Like there's no way at the end in season one, there were like four, there were like five people at the final fire thing. And then they, they could narrow it down from there and, and stuff like that. Like to me, you're not all going to be there at the end. There's like 10 people, 12 people right now. You're not all going to be there at the end. It's stupid to like congregate in your groups because if the traders on the the traders are on the other side, they can just start picking up 
picking off your group and then the people they're aligned with on the other side of the house or the castle or whatever like they will just banish your people you know what i mean like it's just this hard line in the sand of like we're aligned and they're aligned is not helpful for you in the long run in my opinion it feels like an error but anyways mj's turned away and she reports back and then the other side is like peter's coming on too strong like he might be a traitor sandra strategizes with like pool balls i don't know if they're called balls but like like the way she thinks about it and like their side versus our side and who is the numbers and how we need to like banish people from their side of the house like this is the exact error that i think peter is making by drawing the lines in the sand and turning people away but that is my opinion because it's like, does Peter think if they vote out all the traitors, the game just ends? Like, that, that's not how that works. <laughs> like, you were on The Bachelor. You know that even if you you know by week three that it is Hannah Ann or Maddie Pruitt, that you need to go through the motions and there are still the, uh, the slotted amount of weeks to go. You know what I mean? It's like, does Peter think that if, if they vote out Parvati and they vote out Phaedra, the game just ends and they split the money no they have a certain amount of time that they're slotted to film and a certain amount of episodes that they need to deliver to peacock like there's no way that it would just end there so to me just getting your goal your only goal being to vote the traitors out is stupid but anyways and i i, just, I think that's what he's missing by by drawing such hard lines in the sand and like turning people away from strategizing and it's not like Maybe, okay, he suspects Phaedra, but he doesn't suspect MJ. Just listen to what MJ has to say. Or let MJ in and change the conversation. Like, that is something that happens all the time in Big Brother, is you just, you, you're like, yeah, of course, come in. And then you don't keep talking about what you were talking about before. You just change the conversation. Or you give them enough information. Anyways, I feel like I would be so good at this show because... I would know how to deal with people from all shows because I'm a big fan. But anyways, so Sandra is like strategizing and and she talks about how the leftovers have to prevail. Those not in Peter's group. That's why the exclusion is an error, as I've just explained. And the other side decides that they're going to vote Peter a banishment, which again, this wouldn't be happening if Peter was just like, we're the faithful. They're the traitors. Like, we're sure they're the traitors. Vote them out. And I, But the truth is, I... What will happen from there? Anyways, the other side decides that they'll vote Peter at banishment because every because they're like we're pretty sure that side is all going to vote for Parvati, so we're going to vote for Peter because here here is what Peter's side is not no, realizing that if they vote with you, then you're then they're giving your side all the power, and then their side can just banish everybody from the other side until only their alliance is left. Why is the other side going to give you the power? to just send them all home because that is like the natural conclusion doesn't make any sense anyways then we see the mission they're like going through the woods in pairs and it's like a scavenger hunt questionnaire type thing and each pair has like a dollar amount so if they get to the end they they get that amount of money there are up to two shields available. And basically they go through each questions and then at each question, one person in the pair, if they get it wrong, will be eliminated. So if they're eliminate, if I'll, I'll, I'll just go through, I'll just go through it and I'll explain as I go. So the first question 
is what were the woods called? Alan said, welcome to the woods of Derek McDormand or whatever. I, I don't even remember what it is. But, you know, I wasn't playing the game. I would have paid more attention. Peter and Trishel get the first question wrong. So Peter goes to pick up the scroll and he is eliminated. He falls into a muddy pit and he's out. So Trishel continues the scavenger hunt by herself now. So there's, she's left. And if we're, if Trishel were to get to the end by herself, then she and she did it the fastest, she would get the shield. So whatever team gets to the end the fastest, if there's one person, that one person gets the shield. If they're both still there, they both get the shield. Is how the shields work. So Peter is out. He can no longer get a shield, and Trishel's on her own. Mind you, they have the most amount of money. Then we see Phaedra and CT, and they get the first question right, and they move on. Kate and MJ get the first question right, and they move on. John and Parvati get the first question right, and they move on. Sandra and Kevin get it right, they move on. Bergie and Shere get it wrong, and he's out. He falls into the pit. The second question is what symbol is in the middle of the round table, which was the moon, which, to be fair to them, like, they probably don't, like, you don't see the top of the round table. I feel like if any of them should know, it would be Kate because she was on the show last year, but I understand why they didn't get it right. Phaedra and CTE get the second question wrong, and he's pulled up into a net, so now Phaedra is on her own. Kate and MJ get it wrong. MJ's pulled into a net. She's out, and and Kate's on her own. Sheree gets it wrong. Her team is out, and I don't know how much money they have, but that amount of money is no longer in the running. Parvati and John get it right, and they both go on, and then Sandra and Kevin get it right, and they both proceed. Third question is, what Latin phrase is in the kitchen? And I wrote in my notes that Big Brother would really help with this competition because studying the house that you live in is a big thing. I will say they don't sleep in the castle, so it would probably be harder. It's also a faster amount of time, but like on Big Brother, a lot of them just study like stuff around the house. They count stuff. They pay attention to what happened on what day because that stuff comes up. Although nobody from Big Brother is left, so that's kind of sad. Anyways, Trishel gets it wrong and is pulled into a net and her team is out, so that $10,000 that they were playing for, no longer available. Then Kate gets it wrong, her team is out. I don't know how much money they had, but it's eliminated. Phaedra gets it wrong, her team is out. And then Parvati and John get it right. And they're doing well, they're like bonding. They're both still in the game. Sandra and Kevin get it right, they're both still in the game. So there are only two teams and and both teams have both players left. The fourth question is what is the correct portrait wall? So there are two options and they have to pick which one has the people's photos in the right order. Kevin and Sandra get it right and Parvati and John get it right. So now it's just kind of like who, which team did it in the fastest amount of time will get the shields. They only earned 8,000 of like, I think over 20,000, I don't remember. But I mean, it's better than nothing. And like, Everybody kind of flopped, so it wasn't really their fault. Sandra and Kevin won the shields because they did it the fastest, and then Alan says that he has a, has a surprise for them, and it's left kind of on, ominous. They go back to the ha- to the castle post mission. We see CT dress in armor that he found in the armory, and he jokes about a shield. Really cute. The leftovers of the castle decide that they're voting Peter out. CT is a swing. He says that right now he's leaning Peter but he'll listen to anybody's ideas at the round table. He's not set. Very much a swing. Then CT tells Peter that he's on the block. He's like, people aren't kind of suspecting you. And Peter is like, this is the first time I've heard of this. 
Then he tries to talk to people. He talks to Phaedra and Parvati in the armory. PPP is is reunited. <laughs> they weren't everything. He he he's like we can work together and there's definitely like a nod and a wink of like i'm pretty sure you're both traitors but we can work you know and i found this out after this was cut out at the round table but when dan when dan accused phaedra peter said we got the third traitor like he gave us the third traitor or something like he said that at the round table so at this point even though it's not in the edited show peter knows that phaedra or is pretty sure that phaedra is the third traitor you know so he's like, we can work together. Phaedra's like, I don't want any collusion. And she leaves. Phaedra says in her confessionals that Peter's willing to do anything to win the game. And like, that's not true because he didn't become a traitor when the like odds are stacked against the faithful. Because also like the way the game is for, the way the, the game is formatted, I think it would be nearly like impossible to be the last faithful. Like you can be the last traitor. You know, like, even if you get to the end, you're going to have to split the money. Because I don't think they, they let you keep, like, if you're a faithful. I don't really know because this has never happened. But say there's, like, one faithful and then three traitors or something at the end. Could you, as the faithful, just keep saying no, no, no until, like, you're the only... Like, if you're a traitor, it's a lot easier to get the money by yourself. Which I... That would be my goal. But I also need money more than these people do, probably. Anyways, then... Alan calls the players to the stairway and tells them to get ready to go to the woods. They're all like, oh, what's happening? Round table in the woods, who knows? They gather in the woods in like a circle, which was very reminiscent of the of season two, episode nine of Yellow Jackets. If you know, you know, when they're like in the woods and, and Lottie's like, we need to let the wilderness decide. And this is when they're adults and they're like going back to the wilderness. Anyways, and Alan tells them that the wilderness is going to choose. No, I'm kidding. Um, there's... Alan tells them there's no round table, there's no banishment, but the group will have the power to change the course of the game. The traitors will still murder, but the group can decide who is safe. Five players will be left at the mercy of the traitors. Because Kevin and Sandra have shields, they have the power, they, they together decide to light one person's torch, and then that person lights somebody's torch and it goes in a chain until only five people are left. So Sandra and Kevin agree to light Sheree's torch, which makes sense because she's kind of like there, you know? She's not really a target. She is not really going to make any waves either way. Sheree lights Phaedra's torch and Phaedra cries. It's like a really sweet moment. I thought she was acting, but then in her confessionals, she talks about how she and Sheree have had a relationship for like 20 years and it's like a nice moment. So that's nice. I'm, ha I'm happy for them. Phaedra lights... CT's torch, which is cute. I, I I know people. There's like an ongoing thing on Twitter. I don't I don't want to say joke because I I feel like it's serious. Of like there because she on Watch What Happens Live said that he was like her favorite person in the castle, and called him her castle daddy. And then Andy's like, "Are you seeing anybody?" And he's like, "And she's like, of course I am." So people are like, "Oh my god, showmance." So I don't know if they're actually together, but I I like their vibe. But they are. Parvati in her confessional says that she's confused why Phaedra didn't light her torch. But it's like, why are you surprised by that? Like, why do you want her to be connected? Why do you want her to connect you two together? That's like the worst thing you can do. You're you're suspicious, Parvati. Like, and you don't need the safety. Anyways, then CT lights John's torch. Trishel this whole time is thinking that she'll light his, 
that she'll that he'll light her torch and she's really upset when he doesn't he even says like this is about the game it's not about friendship and she's really upset john is the last person to light somebody's torch and he lights peter's torch so peter is the last to be saved Sandra says in her confessionals that she's she's like, maybe Peter isn't a traitor after all because of how he was reacting in the ceremony, you know? Like, he seemed really anxious, and she's like, maybe he is a faithful. Those protected head back to the castle first, and, like, where's the queen card when you need it now? Like, when is the wilderness going to choose? Anyways, I'm just kidding. Trishel's really hurt by CT's decision. They all head back to the castle, and those who are not safe are kind of upset with those who are safe. Trishelle is specifically upset. Phaedra in her confessional says she doesn't know if she can trust Parvati anymore. MJ says that she's sad because she wasn't anybody's first choice and it's a hard pill to swallow. Then we see Phaedra, Sheree, and is it Sheree or Sheree? I'm so sorry. Phaedra, Sheree, and MJ are comforting Trishelle and then CT walks in and he and Trishel talk. She says that she's hurt because if she had gotten the protection, she would have given it to him. She's hurt. It's about their friendship. And CT thinks John is an asset, which is funny because I thought John was like a throwaway save of like, I'm not going to cause too many waves because like, is anybody really thinking that John is like that valuable? He's kind of, I mean, he's funny, but he just seems to be there. I don't know, that was fun. That was funny to me. They don't really resolve much because the clock strikes and they have to head to bed. Kate says that she's not feeling great after the human sacrifice ceremony. Like literally she should have just said, this is like yellow jackets. <laughs> Trishelle is sure she'll get murdered. She's like really upset. At the turret, we see Phaedra tell Parvati that she needs to stop acting like an ice princess. She's like, you need to be more lovable. So funny. And Parvati knows Phaedra would throw her under the bus. She says this in her confessionals, not to Phaedra's face, obviously. Phaedra says that Peter acts like he's in the mafia. Their options of people who are not safe are Bergy, Trishel, MJ, and Kate. So they don't have that many people. Parvati says Kate would be a great recruit later if they get that option. Which, like, girly pop. If they recruit again, I think it's after you get banished. I mean, I don't know. Something could happen. But... The writing feels like it's on the wall. Like, if Parvati doesn't get banished at the next round table, I will be shocked. Like, I think it, the, the, it's not, she's not alone for this world. So I don't really know if you'll be able to recruit, but maybe Phaedra will. Then Bergy is Peter's yes man. MJ is never going to be up for banishment, so they can't use her for a shield. Like, they can't use her to deflect attention from them. And then Trishelle is in Peter's cliff. Trishelle is in Peter's click. So they don't really, they're like, what What reason is there to kill Trishelle except that she's in Peter's cliff? Click, oh my God, sorry. They leave it on a cliffhanger. So that's why I keep saying cliff because of my notes. And I have to say, they leave it on a cliffhanger and I have to say, I have no idea what's gonna happen next. Like I thought that Peter would accept, Parvati would be out and then maybe he could ride to the end with Phaedra. And then at the final circle, he could get Phaedra out and be the last remaining traitor. Like, that's what I thought was, would happen, generally, the trajectory of the season. Now I genuinely don't know, because it seems like both Parvati and Phaedra have suspicions on them, so it just feels like they'll both be out next, and then what happens from there? Like, I, I genuinely have no idea what's going to happen. They have to recruit again, like, don't they? And then at this point, like, that is another part of what why I think Peter's strategy of, like, his people 
on like really only letting his people in is silly because it's like if you get the tra- like traders out then the other side of the house like like i don't know if they can recruit again they know that they can't recruit from your side so they're going to recruit from the other side and the other side is mad at you because you're, you're excluding them so like your side is just going to get picked off like it's just going to backfire it just that feels like an error to me and he just he doesn't he doesn't get that because on his show it's okay to steal somebody for a sec these competition shows have different games especially ones where it's like there's so much suspicion where one wrong move it's like oh that that's suspicious like you're just rubbing people the wrong way so they want to banish you some of the banishment because you have to banish somebody every night like yes at some point it's like a traitor but it's also like what sandra was talking about that it's a numbers game so it's not just we think you're a traitor they have to banish somebody so they're not going to banish people they're aligned with so it's stupid to not align with people you know like the clickiness it seems dangerous to me because at some point the numbers are not going to be on your side and they're going to banish you just because you're rubbing them the wrong way. Like, I don't think they genuinely think Peter might be a traitor because of... They think Peter's a traitor because of how he's treating them. And that is like the mistake. I think Sari was such a good traitor because she made everybody feel welcome. Nobody ever doubted her. Like, Peter, they don't think he's a traitor because of any real reason beyond the fact that he's excluding them and he's like being clicky and he's has hoh-itis as a tweet that i saw said mike bloom i think tweeted that peter somehow brought hoh-itis to the traders which was funny to me personally so i just that's where i how i feel about this why i think it was an error because they need to banish people and there aren't as many traders as there are faithful so they are at some point gonna have to banish like faithful just based off of vibes and like things like this like you not aligning with them like they're like we're gonna vote out peter not even because they necessarily think peter is a faith a a traitor or not i think they do think he's a traitor because they're not going to be like we we just don't like him but they think he's a traitor because of the way he's treating them and that's why you just you got to be careful like he's just it's it's an error in my opinion and i think he because he had such little suspicion on him he could have done a really like he really could have been a good trader because nobody would have suspected him and those are the best traders but the 4trr runs too deep and that's where i am tonight started with 4trr and with 4trr the 4trr is forever 4trr you say it so many times like 4trr (laughs) anyways thank you so much for listening it means a lot this episode will probably be out sunday evening i have no idea i'm I literally i'm recording this saturday night so i don't anticipate it up being i don't anticipate it being out sunday morning just because i'm not going to stay up for like hours finishing it but hopefully i will get it out sometime tomorrow and that's what matters thank you so much for listening if you enjoyed it please follow me so you can get notified when i upload i upload on sundays depending on the time last in recent history it's been like the evening or the night so if it's the morning, I'm lucky. I did it early, but I don't really know. I will see. If I get it out Sunday, that's what matters. So thank you so much for listening. Please follow me so you can get notified when an episode goes live. My social media is linked below and I post updates on there as well if I'm like a day late. Rate and review if you haven't already and you've been listening for a little bit. This is your first episode. Maybe give a few more episodes a try before you rate and review. Because I'm like, you really need to know if you like the show. I mean, you can rate and review whenever you want. It's a free country, but thank you so much. And you will hear from me next Sunday. Bye, guys.